Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. This is a reading from Acts 13, verses 1 to 3. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manane, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While we were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So we're going to look at um, those verses that Maureen read to us, uh, the world's shortest passage for a Sunday morning service, but it's Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Uh, If you have it open, we'll get to that in a second. But we've reached the end of our little course. Um, You know we've been doing this course, Love Your Church, based on the book by Tony Marida, and uh, me and Andrew have been recording videos for you all to enjoy in your connect groups, which I know I'm sure you've enjoyed seeing our faces regularly. But uh, it's been a really brilliant um, eight weeks, um, well, nine if you include the introductory session, and I hope you've been blessed by it. I think it's been a really good course that we've been through as a church, and I want to thank you for your commitment uh, in connect groups, and particularly our connect group leaders for leading those sessions and leading them so well. We uh, really value our connect group leaders um, because... Big community needs pockets of small community because that's where we care for each other best in our connect group. So if you're not in one, uh, join one, to be blunt about it. Um, But we believe that God led us to this course, led us to this book, and we believe that it's been a real blessing to us as a church. But what a journey we've been on over the last eight weeks, Um, and we've considered so much. But note the trajectory, as we said in our final video, which some of you would have watched. We started very internally, didn't we? We started off by thinking about belonging, gathering, and what it meant to be the church that cared for each other, that spoke well of each other, that didn't gossip or slander, all those kinds of things that need to be constantly be challenged as a group of body of local Christians but as the course went on the trajectory began to change once we began to understand what it meant to love your church and love each other then the focus has turned over these last two weeks externally Last week, we talked of witnessing, talking about our faith with anyone we might pass. We looked at Philip and the Ethiopian and that amazing story uh, with the Ethiopian eunuch. And today, we continue with that external um, look, and we look at this word sending, sending out. And now, what do we mean by sending? Uh, We know what we mean by witnessing. We're witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a Christian, you're a witness, not just that Jesus lived, not just that he was good and miraculous or even God's son you're a witness that he's alive that's what being a witness means I'm a witness to his resurrection not just his death but his resurrection from the grave I witnessed it not physically in the flesh but I'm a witness of his resurrection because I talked to him and he's my friend he's my brother the bible says so we're witnesses to that but then we get this word sending the sending out of God's people and what do we mean by it you would often hear Christians say I long for us to be a sending church And if you're new to the faith, you may think, what's that about? I spent a long time plucking up the courage to come in, and now they want to get rid of me. And uh, that's not true. We don't want to get rid of you. But what is this sending that we talk about? Where are we supposed to go? Who does the sending, and what's the purpose of it? Because after all, most people spend a long time trying to find a nice church they're comfortable in. And then the thought of God saying, you've got to leave now and go somewhere else, uh, probably frightens them slightly. 
So this session really is answering that question um, and then looking at those verses from Acts 13. But really what we're saying today is an extension um, of what we said last week. To witness to our faith is really a core thing, a core part of our DNA as Christians. But the being sent is really taking that witness of Jesus' death and resurrection somewhere else. We're all called to be witnesses and to do the work of an evangelist at work, at home, on the streets, wherever we may be, even at church sometimes. But actually, uh, God will sometimes say to us, I'm going to send you from this one place with that message to this other place that's never heard it, and your job is going to preach to those people who have never heard. And there have been some wonderful missionary movements uh, across uh, church history. Uh, In the early days, you think of the the British missionary movement. Sorry. Um, Excuse me. I've broken this. Ah, I see what happened. One of those days, I think. That's good. Um, right. But there's been some great missionary... Sorry, excuse me a minute. Let me just do this. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves for a second. There we are. That's better. There's nothing worse than all you're actually thinking about is the wire that I feel like is doing this, and it isn't. <laughs> but there we are. Where were we? Anyway, that's good. Good. Carrying on. But there's been some wonderful missionary movements that have genuinely changed the world, have taken the gospel to places like Africa and the subcontinent and South America. And those places have had a rich reward as people have come to know Christ as their saviour. And what's wonderful in more recent history is those mission movements have been replaced by people in those countries growing in their own faith and actually missionary movements going to other places cross-culturally. And actually we praise the Lord that God is sending missionaries to this country. Uh, which is much needed uh, in many parts uh, of this country in the UK. But being sent is really being sent somewhere else to spread the message of Jesus Christ. That might include a missionary trip. That might include moving house to a different part. It might include a church plant. Many churches plant churches. They say, this area is five miles down the road. has got not one single church. There's 150 of us, right? 50 of us are going to leave this church. They're going to start a church five miles down the road. The, the, The sort of um, the church here will look after them and, and care for them and help them out, but we're going to plant a church over there because they've never heard of Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about when we talk of sending Christians. You see, Christianity is a movement. And I love the way in the early days of our faith in the book of Acts, they weren't referred to as Christians until Antioch, but they were always referred to as believers of the way, those who belonged to the way. Because they were going somewhere. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity was always moving in the early days. And you could argue that when we become static, we just die really quickly. It was either moving spiritually, as in getting to know God more, understanding its theology better and better and better. It was moving relationally, in that we became to understand more and more what it meant to be God's community, God's family. And then there's the literal moving of God's people. As the gospel spread out from Jerusalem, Samaria, and then across Europe, and then across to other parts of the globe as the book of Acts ends. And as the gospel spread since its inception, the church grew. And as the church grew, the message of hope, the only message of hope, crossed boundary after boundary after boundary. People groups were changed in their millions. Lives were changed. Governments have been changed. Empires have been changed. It's no, underestimate, it's no exaggeration to say that the message of the gospel has changed the world more than any other movement or philosophy or person or government in all of human history. And like witnessing, going on the mission field is in our DNA as Christians. And when a Christian refuses to entertain that God might send them somewhere else, they limit probably the most wonderful part of what it means to be a Christ follower. 
It's in our DNA, in our blood to move somewhere else, go to a different people group and share the good news of Jesus Christ for those who have not ever heard. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20, the Great Commission. Jesus commands us to go into all the world, not some of it, not a bit of it, but all of it, to leave our homes, leave our cities, leave our families at times, perhaps even, and actually go and spread the good news and make disciples of all nations, all nations. And so many Christians have been a great example to us in translating the Bible into many different languages and giving their lives, even dying for the gospel so people could hear the message that we hear week in, week out, and perhaps sometimes even take for granted. But you might say, well, that's not for me. I don't know. But let me read a quote from a guy called C.T. Studd. Um, if you don't know much about him, have a little look about his life story. Quite a fascinating man. But this is what he wrote. I had known about Jesus dying for me, but I had never understood that if he died for me, then I didn't belong to myself. Redemption means buying back, so that if I belonged to him, either I had to be a thief and keep what wasn't mine, or else I had to give up everything to God. When I came to see that Jesus had died for me, it didn't seem hard to give it all up for him. In other words, once you understand that your life is not your own when you become a Christian, that actually you're owned by God, you're God's servant, to give it all up to serve him is the easiest thing in the world. But when we think we are our own and I'm in charge of my own destiny, then we hang on to this thing called life and our belongings and our plans. But mission matters. If we don't do mission, the world dies in its sin and remains in the dark kingdom of sin and brokenness. And I'm only here this morning, because somebody did a mission to my secondary school when I was 11 years old. A group of Christians that came from Essex Road uh, over in Chapel Heath, and they came and they did a little mission um, in Chapel... Um, Will I go to school again? Hang on. Whatever. Mayfield High School in Dagnum. And a uh, rough school, didn't really hate it every minute of it, but in, Dagnum, in, uh, in my secondary school, they came when I was in year seven, or the first year if you're older, and they did a little, uh, a little mission all week. Someone did a rap but there we are. Um, they did a rap, but they, there's a band called Double Take. And they came, and every lunchtime for about four days, they sang Christian songs that had written themselves. And I thought they were fantastic. Lots of people laughed. Only a few came. It wasn't a particularly great turnout. I loved it. But at the end of the week, we were invited. It begins with prayer. And actually, what we have in Acts chapter 13 isn't a mission, but it has, it's the prayer before the mission. Uh, the apostle Paul uh, went on three great missionary journeys, probably more, but three that are recorded in the book of Acts. And actually, before he does a single one, he has this prayer meeting in the church in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3. Every great move of God starts the same way. It doesn't start with a good idea. It doesn't start with lots of willing volunteers who have done a risk assessment. It starts with concerted, dedicated, sacrificial, open-hearted, spirit-filled prayer. Not once, not twice, not once a month, but every single day, every single moment. God, what next? God, what next? God, what next? And then God says this now. Every move of God comes when God's people are found on their knees, brokenhearted about something, begging God to move in his might and his majesty. Nothing that's been ever good in Christian history has started without prayer or carried on without sustained prayer. Paul goes on these three mission trips 
after this prayer meeting, Acts chapter 13. He and Barnabas have been at Antioch for about a year. They've been helping with discipleship. They've been doing local mission. It's all good. They're comfortable. Everyone's happy. Everyone likes having them around. They've been doing stuff locally, telling people about Jesus. Why leave? Why leave? But then they pray, and God, the Holy Spirit, speaks and calls these two men to leave that place where they'd been for a while, where they were comfortable, where it was working, and go somewhere they'd never been before. The lesson is clear. If we want to be effective Christians who change the world, get praying. It is as simple as that. So let's think about this prayer meeting they had in Acts chapter 13. Just a couple of things to say about their time of prayer. The first thing is they prayed without an agenda. We love to pray about something, don't we? We say we're going to pray for this nation or this person. There's nothing wrong with that. But you get the impression that this group of believers, which probably included more than the people named here, probably the whole church, were just in a wonderful rhythm and routine of sustained prayer of God's people. They weren't necessarily praying about mission, but prayer was such a part of their DNA as local believers, it was easy for God to speak to them. Sadly, it's not always the case with the vast majority of Christians and churches, us included. We've forgotten the power of prayer, I believe, as Christians. I believe we've forgotten the importance of laying prostrate before our God in the presence and the company of our brothers and sisters. I believe we've forgotten why we pray. Sometimes people come to prayer to further their gripe. They pray, oh Lord, wouldn't it be good if the church did this? That's not why we pray. We pray, Lord, what do you want the church to do? Lord, your will be done, not mine. Sometimes people come out of obligation. I better go because no one else will be there and I have to cancel it. But that's not the reason to come either. We've forgotten the joy of prayer, I believe, as Christians. And so our works of service are never as effective as they should be. Martin Luther famously said, pray as if everything depends on God. Act and work as if everything depends on you. But how often we do the second, but not the first. Say, Lord, why didn't it work? I worked so hard for you. It was such a good idea. And maybe heaven just whispers back, it didn't involve us. They prayed without agenda. They prayed with purpose as well. How long does a prayer meeting last? The answer? One hour. Every church I've ever attended since I became a Christian at 11 years old gives God one hour a month. God gets one hour a month of prayer, unless there's a special event. We have a whole month of prayer, so I don't feel so bad. But a church is normally give God an hour. And God is really good with the time we give him. He always finishes at 8 o'clock. Never overruns. Bang on 8 o'clock, it all goes quiet. and Someone wraps up and everyone goes home, thinking, good that we prayed. But God never overstays his welcome at our prayer times. What if he did? What if God wanted three hours on a Sunday night? What if God wanted 12 hours on a Sunday night? What if God wanted all week and we just kept on praying? Let's not schedule God. Let's let God schedule us. But this group met for more than an hour, I guarantee it. The Antioch time included worship, which is where I'm getting my word purpose from. In verse 2, it says, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, they met for prayer, but they worshipped. I believe that means singing. I believe they lifted up God's name in worship and praise. Sing, sung worship is so important. 
and you must sing with the right heart, listening to God's voice every way you do it. They prayed long over an hour, I guarantee you. I guarantee you they didn't silently sit in a circle with the same couple of people praying. I guarantee you it was loud. I guarantee it was chaotic. I guarantee you they talked over each other. I guarantee you they sang. I guarantee you they shouted and cried. I guarantee you it was wonderful. I guarantee you it was the highlight of their week. So often convention constrains our prayer. I wonder, are we people who are frightened of looking foolish for the King of Kings? God put on my heart, I believe, last weekend, a verse, a couple of verses from 2 Samuel chapter 6, which I'd love to read to you now. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is the story of the Ark of the Covenant coming back into Jerusalem after a whole load of things had gone a bit wrong for uh, God's people. And David goes to get the Ark that's been somewhere else for a while and he brings it back and he makes a sacrifice of an ox every three or four steps and they sing and they blow trumpets and tambourines and they dance. And as they enter Jerusalem, this is what happens. It says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David. Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from the window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And then in verse 20, uh, sorry, then they brought, the, sorry, they brought the ark of the Lord into its place inside the tent they'd pitched for it, and David sacrificed burnt offerings uh, before the Lord. And in verse 20 to 22, when David returned home to bless his household, wouldn't you want to dance? Why wouldn't you want to jump up and down and dance and run around? Why wouldn't you? You get to talk to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We should be prepared to look stupid because we're so free. Convention is not always of God. But they prayed with purpose. That purpose was to be free. They prayed with determination. You could miss a very tiny detail in verse 2 that they fasted as they prayed and as they worshipped. And I think that's a really important part. The presence of fasting in this particular prayer time shows a spiritual determination of these Christians to draw near to God. Fasting is a really key discipline that so many of us just don't do. Fasting focuses the mind, focuses the heart, lets God know we're serious. To go without is to remind ourselves of our need of God. Fasting meant they prayed with determination, not obligation. And what happens next means Paul and Barnabas go on mission and change the world. And then finally, they pray with ears open. Verse 1 tells us that there were teachers and prophets in this group. Like I say, it's probably the whole church but there were teachers and prophets. This was a group of people that loved God's word because this is chiefly how we hear. Everything must be measured against God's word. If someone says, thus saith the Lord, and it ain't in here, ignore it. So this is how God speaks to us. It's not in this book, it's lies. But God does speak prophetically and powerfully through the gift of prophecy that many and some people have. They have both those people, a separate role in that church as it is in much of the New Testament. And someone at some point must have said, I believe God is saying, you two must go. And maybe the prophets you know, chewed it over. Maybe they turned to their Bibles or their scrolls and looked at what God's word had already said to measure it. But they listened with open ears. And these two men went off and changed the world. None of us would be here, actually, if it wasn't for Acts chapter 13. Forget me and my little story. None of you would be here had Antioch not had that prayer meeting. So let me finish with a few questions. Do we pray as Christians in this church? Do we pray? There's that great 
joke slash horrible illustration. If you want to know how popular a church is, come on a Sunday morning. If you want to know how popular the minister is, go on the Sunday evening service. Um, if you want to know how popular God is, go to the prayer meeting and see how many people go to that. It's a really crushing thing to say, but do we pray? Do we listen when we pray? Are we there to get our words out? Would we go? Would we go like Paul and Barnabas? Are you and I prepared to let God interrupt our careers? Are we prepared to let God interrupt our money and our finance? Are we prepared to let God interrupt our plans for his purposes? The only thing that matters is people's lost souls, nothing else. Are we prepared to say to the Lord regularly, I will go wherever you want me to? Are we prepared to pray regularly, Lord, take my life and do with it what you please? I lay all of it at your feet and I will give the lot up for you. If we partnered with a smaller church locally that was dying, would some of us be prepared to leave here on a Sunday and go where we're perhaps not as comfortable to bless them so that church stays open and preaches the good news? Would you go abroad? Would you give it all up and go and live in some far-flung country miles away, away from your family, your friends, and your plans? Would you? Would we? If we never listen and we never pray, then we'll never get the opportunity to be challenged by that. But sending is part of our DNA. Sending is part of our call. And we must be prepared to go wherever our king sends us. Let's just pray for a moment or two before we finish. Lord God, as we just come to the end of our time this morning, Lord, it is a challenge. It is a challenge to think of mission. It is a challenge, Lord, to think of going. So Lord, perhaps sometimes it's easy for us to almost refine and chip away the bits of following you that might lead to a tough call. But Lord, if you call us to leave it all behind, yes, it might be hard, but Lord, it will also be wonderful. And Lord, what a wonderful moment it might be if we obey that call to stand in heaven and see face after face after face of people who are there. Lord, who wouldn't be had we not gone? Lord, the only thing that matters, Father, is the preaching of the good news. You call us to go and share so that people can know you. Lord, that is the only thing that matters, knowing you. Father, I pray that all of us in this church would have open hearts, that we wouldn't just give you, give you one measly hour Father God, you would just take what is rightfully yours. Every minute belongs to you, not us. Or may we not be a thief of our own time, because, Lord, you've bought it with the blood of your Son. Lord, send us, we pray. Use us, we pray. And bless all that we've said this morning, now in Jesus' name. Amen.